Okay, if you will take your Bibles, please. Open them to the book of Romans. And turn with me to Romans chapter 8. As we continue our examination of this passage and our contemplation of the reality of hope. Join me in standing out of reverence for the reading of God's Word. If you would please, Romans chapter 8. And we will begin reading again at the 18th verse. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. And not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Father, I ask that you give to us grace. Teach us to love you and to honor you. Teach us to obey your word. And teach us, God, in all that we do to consider the risen Christ. To know that all that we are and all that we do is because of him. God, help us to live lives that honor his name. That maximize his glory. And that declare his praises to a lost and dying world. In Jesus' name. Amen. We've been thinking about hope. And it's time to consider that hope is not an eternal virtue. Hope has a shelf life. It's something that has no place in eternity. For we will have all of our hopes fulfilled in Christ. However, that being said, it's also one of the most important things to possess in this life. And this dichotomy is stunning when you consider it. Heaven, the place of our hopes, is itself hopeless. It means that we must both hold on to our hope against that day, but also that we must not allow hope itself to become that which we desire above its object. This truth keeps us grounded and allows our hope to have power to transform without becoming empty and bad. So I want to think with you about why God gives us something that he's going to eventually take away. Why he gives us something so profoundly powerful as hope. Why he gives us this promise and this reality that we can actually lay claim to what he says he's going to do as if it's already our possession. This is really the definition of hope. It's the idea that we, we know with earnesty, we know with absolute confidence that, that what God says he's going to do, he's going to do. And we trust it, believing it and resting upon it, knowing without any question that it is as certain as if we could see it in front of us. This is the power of hope. Hope is intrinsically, inexplicably and, and indivisibly tied to our faith. Because faith is the substance of things hopeful. Amen? We need to recognize that hope is a possession which is ours today. And since it has this shelf life, it's something that we should cling to with all the more joy and purpose and allow it to do the fullness of why God has given it to us. Often, hope is looked down upon by the people of the world. It's seen as something which is Worthless, it's seen as something which is pie in the sky, which is the province of dreamers and people who are not firmly connected to reality. When we talk about the hope of, of our salvation, of his coming, we talk about the hope that's ours in Christ, people's eyes kind of glaze over and they think to themselves, well, this is a lunatic. But the truth is, is that hope is a powerful thing. It's something which lifts us and transforms us. And it's something which actually anchors us more profoundly to the world in which we live 
than those who do not have our hope. For we can use and utilize and we can understand that the things that are here are passing away and therefore they do not have as much power over our lives. If this life is all there is, then this life has absolute power to dictate everything that we do. And we become very frustrated and very worried and very scared and very angry when the world is not going the way we want it to go. And you don't have to look far to see that that's exactly how the world is reacting right now. But for those of us who belong to Christ, the hope that's ours in Him sets us free from that bondage. It sets us free from that tyranny. It allows us to look beyond this moment and see that there is a reason and there is a purpose and there is a promise. And that promise is more real than the things that we see around us right now. So I want to think about this issue of hope. And I want to think with you about its temporary condition in light of its present purpose. It's, it's a lot to get done. And I hope we can manage it. So let's start with thinking about what hope's purpose is. And the very first thing we need to understand is that hope, rightly understood, equips us for this life. Look at me at Romans chapter 12, please. Romans chapter 12. We're going to read the first two verses and then skip down to verse 9. And I got that wrong in your bulletin. So you need to make a note that it's also includes the first two verses. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And then in verse 9, we're going to start seeing how that's defined. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Claim to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, not giving preference, in honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patience in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Distributing to the needs of the saints, giving to hospitality. Bless those who bless you. Bless. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. And if it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heat coals of fire upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So, let me ask you this question. Is it possible to live that way if you live a life without hope? I would contend that it's not. If you live a life without hope and somebody wrongs you, the only recourse you have is to not get even, but get ahead. The only recourse you have is to make sure that you give double to them what they gave to you because nobody else is going to take up for you. you got to watch out for yourself. You have to make sure that you're taking care of your own things and that you are making sure that you are well defended and well compensated. The retribution is attached to your name in the mind of other people because that will keep you safe. If there's no hope in this life, if there's nothing beyond this life, then that's the only logical way to live. Paul says it like this. If in this life only we have hope, we are of all men to be pitied. Then eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow you die. See, we have this hope. And this hope, because it's a real thing, commands us and commends us to live our lives in a way that's different from the world around us. 
Hope empowers our Christianity. It empowers our ability to obey what God tells us to do. And it allows us to be sustained when we are attacked and when we are persecuted and when we are hated and when we are hurt without cause. Because we know that in the end, our God will either convert them or He will take care of vengeance. And it's not our duty to worry about which one He's going to do. We must evangelize, we must proclaim the truth to them, we must pray for their souls, and we must recognize that God's mercy is real. And that requires us to have a genuine investment in the hope that's promised to us. Because that hope allows us to look at the things that are going on here in a right perspective, which is that they will exist for a season and then they will be gone. And even the most vile and evil deeds that man can perpetuate against man do not have the power to do anything that God does not permit them to do. They don't have the power to harm somebody if God intends that they will be in the end healed. So we can rest in His hope. We can rest in His promise. We can rest in the nature of our God and know that what He does, He does for our good. Psalm 27 verses 13 and 14 says this, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. What did the psalmist say? If I didn't believe that God could do what He said He's going to do, I would have lost heart. I, I would have just been undone by all the things that I see around me. And so I speak to my soul, and I speak to my heart, and I say, hope in the Lord. Trust that what He's doing, He's doing for our good. So hope strengthens us for the task that's given to us today. It's preparing us to live this life and allowing us to live this life. And it's preparing us for eternity as well. 2 Corinthians 4, starting at verse 16, says, Therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more and exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So the hope that God commends to us, the hope that He provides for us, the hope that He gives us and says, this is where you fix your attention. It has the power to sustain us in the midst of the trials that we're facing. It has the power to lift our hearts. It has the power to lift our eyes. And it gives us a perspective on these things, which is a little bit disconcerting to those who do not share that perspective. This light, momentary affliction, whatever it is that's going on. Beloved, we're not to be too incensed and too upset about the condition of the world around us. Yes, we need to stand for truth. Yes, we need to stand for righteousness. Yes, we need to be warriors for the sake of the gospel. But we don't need to get worried and anxious and uptight and afraid. We do not need to give in to those things because our God is the one who is on the throne. And this momentary affliction, this light trial, is working in us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. In other words, the difficulties that we're having right now are producing in us something stupendously real. We're exchanging something which is nothing for something that is everything. And that's a remarkable reality. What God gives to us is the promise that whether you see it or not right now, that's the truth of the situation. You don't have to see it. You don't have to even really understand it. But you are called to believe it. And you're called to act as if you believe it. To live with that vision in front of you which says, Lord, whatever you bring into my life right now, it doesn't have the power to do any harm to what you're producing in my life. And what's more, this light difficulty, this minute affliction, it's actually producing more glory than I would have had without it. That's a remarkable promise and it's a remarkable perspective 
when God commands us to trust Him. You can consider all of the difficulties that you're facing to be training. And something else that hope does is it sustains you while you're being trained. It's hard to go through training if you don't have a vision and a hope for what's going to come out on the other side. Ask anybody who's trained for any enormous uh, physical trial. Their, their goal is what kind of gets you through the training. Whatever the goal might be. The idea that I'm going to accomplish this thing or I'm going to win this, this competition or I'm going to I'm going to attain that degree, or whatever it might be, it doesn't really matter. But the goal itself is what sustains us, it's what helps us through the difficulties of the trial, and it's what helps us through the difficulties of the training. Well, hope serves that same purpose as God is training us for His own presence. He's training us for glory. He's training us for His presence. Look at Psalm 130. Psalm 130, starting in verse 3. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in His word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with Him is abundant redemption. He shall redeem Israel from all His iniquities. So this hope of what God is doing sustains us. It gives us strength to endure whatever it is that's going on. And it also gives us a hunger for God and for His kingdom. 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 6, says, We are always confident, knowing that while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. But we are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. That's our desire. We want to be absent from the body. We want to be present with the Lord. And we're confident that that's the promise. Hebrews 11, 1, of course, says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. There actually is evidence which has been given to us in the form of our hope. And all of these things taken together give us a hunger for God. They give us a hunger for His kingdom. And they demonstrate to us who have eyes to see the faithfulness of God. There are, throughout the Scripture, hundreds and hundreds, even thousands of prophecies that the Lord has made which all come true. It's easy for us to look at those things now and see His faithfulness in, in hindsight. But what is it that gives us the ability to look forward and know His faithfulness is going to be demonstrated later? It's His Word, and it's the hope that we have in His truth. It's the hope that we understand that God is absolutely faithful. Everything that he does demonstrates the faithfulness of God. And every single time that God gives to you this promise of hope, and you, and you rest in it, and you say, Lord, I believe you, and Lord, I'm going to trust you. And when it starts to be revealed that it's real and that it's happening, that helps you trust him more. It gives you more faith for the next time. It grows your faith. It grows your confidence. It grows your ability to know that whatever he's doing is absolutely happening according to His plan and not just by random events. And as we learn this, it helps us know our God and it helps us love our God. 2 Thessalonians 3.5 says, Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. Now, hope, beloved, if you're alive, it is the very air that you breathe. If you are alive in your soul and you are a living being, hope is your air. Heaven does not have any place for hope. Paul says right here in Romans 8, 24, that we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? You understand that when we get to heaven, all of our hopes are answered. All of our hopes are fulfilled in Christ. Everything that God has promised is made manifest when we get there. 
So there is no longer any place for hope. There's no longer any need for hope. For it's all been fulfilled. It's all been sustained. This is where hope matters. This is where hope has its power. This is where hope transforms us. This is where hope does what it does because it is the purview of the living. It is our very air. And it's a gift that only God can give us. Romans 15, 13 says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's one of three theological core realities that drive us. Look at 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. This passage is not just for weddings. In the start of verse 8. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know, just as I also and now abide faith, hope, and love, these three. The greatest of these is love. These core truths, faith, hope, and love, they are the purview of the living. They are the things which bind us together and bind us to Christ. In mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis writes this. The three virtues that Paul sets forth as being of the greatest importance in the believer's life are faith, hope, and love. Although in our day, faith and love are spoken of far more often than hope, it remains true that hope plays a vital role in faithfully following Jesus Christ. The importance of hope is that it is a continual looking forward to the eternal world, not as some modern people think, as a form of escapism or wishful thinking. But one of the things that a Christian is meant to do, it does not mean that we are to leave the present world. If you read history, you'll find the Christians who did the most for the present world were those who thought the most of the next. The apostles themselves, who set foot on the conversion of the Roman Empire. The great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on the earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is largely since Christians have ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this world. Aim at heaven, and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you will get neither. Hope has its place. And it is what binds us to the earth and makes us effective because we begin to understand that what we do actually carries significance beyond this moment. If what I'm going to do is only going to matter right now, well, then there's really very little incentive to do it. But if what I'm going to do carries and echoes into eternity, then there's a reason to do it. And more than that, there's a reason to do it well. There's a reason to do it with the fullness of my heart's passion. There's a reason to do what God has put in front of me to do with the very best ability of which I am capable. And it doesn't matter whether we're talking about a secular calling or a spiritual calling. What God has gifted you to do, God has put in front of you to do for His glory. And it is the hope of His coming which allows you to translate your mundane daily tasks into eternity. It is the hope of His coming. It's the hope of His promise. It's the reality that God is not going to allow all that you've done to just languish. It's the promise that He cares about your life and He cares about all that you do that makes these things become valuable. Hope is therefore the promise of the adopted. It's what God gives us. And it's something that He only gives to us. When we're adopted into His family, hope becomes part of our inheritance. It becomes part of our birthright as His children. Look at Romans chapter 5. 
Romans chapter 5, starting at verse 1, Paul writes this. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who is given to us. So we see this amazing circular pathway of hope. And it begins with the fact that hope has been poured out into our lives. And hope of our salvation is the core of this hope. God has done His work. We have peace with Him through our Lord Jesus Christ. And by His grace, we have been ushered into this hope, into this grace in which we stand. And it settles us, and it grounds us, and it makes us solid in who we are, and who we are in Christ. But because the world is always coming against us, God has also allowed the trials and the difficulties and the persecutions and the tribulations and, and the hardships of this life to become something that strengthen and grow our hope. Because tribulation produces what? Perseverance. Perseverance produces character, and character in the end produces moral. God does all of these things because He is determined that we as His children would have the fullness of His promised birthright. And the fullness of His promised birthright includes the power of hope for this life. It means that it is through patience that we learn to love God, and it is through patience and faith that we inherit His promises. Beloved, understand this. If you have faith in God, you have faith in God because God gave you faith. Amen. If you have faith in God, you have faith in God because God chose to do this in your life because He has promises that He's going to fulfill in you. He has promises that He's going to fulfill to you. Those promises are part of your birthright. They are a part of what God intends to do in your life while you remain here, and they point to what He is going to do in your life once you get there. These promises are as real as the air that you breathe. Amen. The reality of everything that God has set Himself to do in your life is as true and as real as the next breath in your body. And nothing can ever separate you from the promises of God. And we learn to love Him as we walk with Him in this life. We learn His faithfulness. We learn His character. We learn the gentleness of His Spirit with us. We learn that even the difficult things to come, come to us through the hand of a loving Father. They come to us as one who is beloved of God and who God has our best interests in His mind and in His heart. What is it that God promised in Jeremiah 29? I know the plans that I have for you. We see this verse all over the place. Plans of good and not of evil. Plans to give you a future and a hope. This is, this is His promise to us. This is the reality of what God is doing in our lives. He is manifesting Himself so that our lives grow in grace. Because the hope of God, the faith that we need, it grows in the ground which has been tilled by His love and been tilled by His work. It grows here where, where there is only the, the faith and the hope and the promises of God. It grows in that soil and nowhere else. Hebrews 6, verses 11 and 12 says, We desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, starting at verse 32. Recall the former days in which, after you were illuminated, you endured great struggle and suffering, 
partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me and my chains, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Yet for a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. And now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. We are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Now this passage doesn't use the word hope, but it certainly describes hope. It's this idea that there is a confidence which allows us to joyfully accept even the plundering of our goods. To say, God, I know that what is really mine and what really matters is out of their reach. I know that whatever it is that you're doing, you will make certain it comes to pass. There is a power in this which is only ours because of the hope that's ours in Christ, because of the hope that is set before us. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1, starting in verse 17. Paul writes this. This is his prayer for the church of Ephesus. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, and that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave to him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. What is it that God is promising us? Well, part of the promised hope is the reality that whatever he has promised to Jesus is ours as co-inheritors with Christ. That there is... Nothing that I could ever say if we fully understood that truth which would be more awesome to you than the fact that what God has promised to Jesus, He has promised to you. What Christ earned by His obedience, He willingly, joyfully has promised to share with us as an outflow of that self-same obedience. There's not going to be any of this, no, that's mine, you can't have it. That's how our children play. That's not how God's children play. That's not how Jesus deals with his brothers and sisters. He promised that what is his is ours. And he will absolutely give it to us. And that hope sustains us. It becomes for us then the strength of our waiting. You ever see somebody just stand up under terrible persecutions and be amazed at what they do? We, we talked yesterday morning about Job. And, and just in passing, everybody was like, oh, I, I hope that if God were to ever come at me that I would have that strength. And we all laughed and said, I know I wouldn't. But the truth is, is that if God did, you would. If God took you to that place, He would sustain you. He would hold you up. He would do what was necessary because in the end, it's His honor and glory on the line. That hope, the hope of His promise, the hope of His faithfulness, it becomes that which is our strength during these days of waiting. We endure the hatred and the persecution of the world. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke 21. Turn there if you would, please. Luke 21, starting in verse 8. He said, Take heed that you do not be deceived. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is drawn near. Therefore, do not go after them. But when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified. For these things must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. Then he said, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. 
and there will be great earthquakes in various places, famines and pestilences, check, check, check. And there will be fearful signs and sights and great signs from heaven, check, check. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. But it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. Therefore, settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all of your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. You will be betrayed, even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends. And they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But not a hair of your head shall be lost. By your patience, possess your soul. It's a strange statement, isn't it? By your patience, possess your souls. What's he talking about? Tribulations. I'm sorry? Waiting on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord. Tribulations produce perseverance, which is another word for patience or endurance, which produces character, which produces hope. You see, these things, they're all tied together. And there are things which God is delighted, believe it or not, delighted to share with us. He teaches us how we stand, and He teaches us how we live, and He teaches us what is to be the focus of our lives, so that when these things come, we're not undone. How is it that the church of the Hebrews joyfully accepted the plundering of their goods? Because they weren't that important to them. It didn't matter. How is it that you stand up when somebody that you trust sticks a knife in your back? How is it that you're not undone by that? Well, you know that Jesus said these things were going to happen and that he will sustain us. And you know that in the end, he will turn all of these things for good. We have his promise that these things happen. 10,000 fall at my right hand, 10,000 at my left. And lo, still I stand here. They tried to kill me, but they didn't. And even if they do, even if they put me to death, as he said, they will put some of us to death. It's entirely possible. What does that mean? It means that not a hair of my head will be lost. It means that even if I die, I'm still triumphant. There is nothing which God will call me to lay aside which he will not repay a thousandfold. Amen. How do I know this? Because I trust in his word and I hope in his promise. It's the power to stand when God gives us his hope, when God gives us the reality of what it is that he's doing supersedes everything else. And through our patient continuance, we learn that hope, remember? We read it in Romans 5. Through obedience to what God tells us to do, we learn how to hope. It is that which lets us endure. And it is the fact that we are strengthened as we endure because of His hope. Look at Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 9. Again, Paul praying for the church of Colossae. He's never been to this church, by the way. Ephesus he planted. Colossae was planted by somebody else. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, According to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. 
As we learn to patiently trust Him, our hope is strengthened. And as our hope is strengthened by us learning to patiently trust Him, so also are we strengthened. Hope becomes then our lifeline to God. It becomes that which binds us to Him for the strength that we need. Remember that patience ultimately produces hope. And bear in mind that the chastisement of the Father is love and is intrinsically tied to hope. So this is something that we all need to get our heads around because God is invested in transforming His children. And sometimes that means painful correction. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. You know, we we quote Bible verses and we quote them often out of context and we quote them in snippets. But it's important for us to go back and occasionally try to tie them into the greater context. So we're going to read through this passage and, and not just pick out the part on discipline or not just talk about running the race like Jesus did, but understand that the two things come one right after the other and therefore they are connected. Therefore, since also we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted the bloodshed striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son that he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which you have all become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to you, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by So we look unto Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith. We have that steadfast hope. We know that we're surrounded by the great cloud of witnesses and that God is calling us and urging us and they're cheering us on from the sidelines, encouraging us to run faithfully the race set before us. And then he says, but you understand that you haven't really resisted temptation as much as Jesus has. So consider him. Think about him and recognize that as God is correcting you, he's correcting you to make you like unto Jesus. Understand the truth that the discipline of God is directly connected to his desire to transform your life. And that hope in the midst of trials and the difficulties and even the chastisement of God, hope sustains you in the midst of It gives you the ability to look at the things that are going on and to know that God's love is unshaken and that God's power to do what He promised to do will absolutely accomplish everything He set out to accomplish. Do you believe that God is transforming you into the likeness of Christ? Scripture attests that it is. Scripture promises that what God has begun in you, He will certainly complete. Scripture tells us that the things that you hate in yourself, as sin has risen up and and is shown to you, that those things themselves are being carved out of your character by God's grace and by His mercy and by the power of the cross in your life. And that becomes a hope that sustains you in the midst of that painful process. I assure you it hurts. The writer of Hebrews says... No chastening is pleasant at the time. In fact, if your daddy was whipping you and you started laughing, it probably would do nothing but get you more. Amen? Amen. (laughs) And that says it should be. It's supposed to hurt. That's the point. And God chastens His children because He loves them. 
Well, if you don't know that, if you're not resting in that truth, if you're not solid in that hope, then you're going to look at the things that are going on in your life and you're going to feel like God must hate me or he wouldn't do this. And Lord, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that from people. And the truth of it is, it's people who should know. People who should be aware of what God has said. But, but we still feel that. Well, what's happening? Why are we feeling that way? We're feeling that way because we've lost the connection to our hope. We've lost the connection to that thing which God has given to us for this hour. Instead, we have allowed the concept of hope to become liquefied. It's become something vaporous. It's become something insubstantial. The concept of hope in our lives and in our minds has become nothing more than a dear wish that we really would like to see come to pass. But beloved, that's not hope. Hope says, I believe that God will do everything that He said He would do. And that, beloved, sustains us. Hope is the accomplished reality of the glorified. Just think about that for a minute. All the hopes that you have set your life on, all the hopes that you have angered yourself unto, those who have already gone on before have completely and fully accomplished that hope. It's settled in their lives. It is a reality to them in a way that is beyond even what we can understand. We close our eyes on this life and we open them gazing upon the face of the blood. 2 Corinthians 5 Verses 6 through 8 said this. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. We walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and be present with the Lord. The hope is, is that all of our suffering is ended. Revelation 21 says, Behold, I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things that passed away. We have the certainty of his promised reward. Revelation twenty two twelve says, Behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. These are the markers of our hope. This is what is held out in front of us. We will be made perfect. 1 Corinthians 15. Turn there if you would, please. First Corinthians 15, starting in verse 15. Paul writes this. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound... And the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Amen. Romans 9, verse 22 and following says, What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath and their destruction? He might make known the riches of his glory in the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. And what that hope looks like for us. To boil it down to its core, to boil it down to the smallest possible detail, it is summed up in this idea. We will see him exactly as he is. We will be in the presence of God, unfiltered, unrestrained, unchecked, and absolutely without limit of how close we can get there. What's promised to us is the presence of God. First Corinthians 13, 12 says, Now we see in a mirror dimly, 
but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know, just as I also am known. Did you ever think about that? You're going to know God as He knows you. What a promise. A hope. That hope sustains. That hope holds us up when everything around us is falling apart. That hope holds us up when nothing else makes sense. That hope both frees us from this life and anchors us to this world so that we can be useful in it. Because you can spend and be spent for the sake of the kingdom, knowing that nothing you give to God will ever be lost. You can spend yourself with joy and abandon, knowing that God will always prepare, and that God will always reward, and that there is nothing that you will ever do which can violate what you have trusted to Him and the hope that's ours. Heaven might be hopeless, but this world lives on. And we as children of God are people of hope. It has power in our lives. And there will come a day where hope no longer has a place. There will come a day where hope no longer has a purpose. But beloved, that day is not now. And we must cling to the hope that's ours in Christ. We have to cling to it with everything we have. Because it's the only thing that's going to sustain you in the days to come. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you give to us grace in this moment and that you help us understand what it is that you're saying. God, I pray that clarity would be given where I added confusion. And I pray, God, that your spirit would bring truth to bear on us all. And I pray, God, that in the midst of this day, Every single person in the sound of my voice would leave with a heart filled with hope, knowing that we're yours and that that's because of you. God, teach us to love and to honor the risen Christ, that our lives might declare his glory. Teach us to love you by letting us know you. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.